This week on SMR, we welcome double palm door winning director Ken Loach to the show, here to discuss his new film set in the Northeast, the truly remarkable Old Oak. We share about this. Plus, there's a terrific tune of the week. Broadcasting weekly on podcast platforms and Alexa, the UK's premier grassroots pro-European radio show. This is 16 million rising. Yes, welcome back to SMR 16 Million Rising Rejoiners and Risers. This is your weekly pro-European anti-Brexit, anti-Tory radio show and podcast. I'm Ben Chambers with you for the next couple of hours and boy, do we have a show for you this week. He's quite possibly the most important British director of all time, Ken Loach. He's joining us for a terrific three-part interview. We talk about his brand new film, The Old O set in the northeast his philosophy as a director in quite a bit of politics and why he thinks socialism isn't just the best way forward it may well be the only answer left to our current predicament you're listening to 16 million rising the show that's voice against the biggest con ever perpetrated on a country this is 16 million rising Well, hello. Welcome back to SMR, guys. I'm Ben Chambers with you for the next two hours. How's your week been? Did you enjoy last week's slightly more humorous than usual show? And thank God this week's is a slightly divergent special because, frankly, I don't know how I could have topped that. Although for fans of the regular uh, format, there is a little bit of the regular stuff at the very top of this week's show. But the bulk of it is given over not just to our interview with the amazing Ken Loach, but also we catch up with Labour Social's Graham Hughes, who's just returned from another trip, not just to the border of Ukraine, but actually to the country itself. He'll be telling us all about what he was doing there and how things went down. We're also going to be speaking to Jacek from the Polish Never Again Association. Uh, they collate, report and fight racism both online, at football matches and through music in their home country. Really great to speak with him this week as well. Both conversations are supplementary to our lead interview with director Ken Loach because they tie in beautifully to issues that he chose to raise. Uh, for newcomers to the show, uh, if you're expecting a regular edition, do go and listen to last week's or jump forward to seven days and listen to next week's. Uh, if you're looking for all the regular features, we collate the very best uh, of the news, views, rants and bants onto internet uh, through our trusted bevy of terrific talking heads. Exclusive content made just for this show. Plus, we champion and platform the very best in pro-European anti-Brexit, anti-Tory music, comedy, poetry, in fact any audio-based creative mediums. If you are a first-time listener to the show, you are very welcome to join us. Uh, you can, of course, catch this show on your podcast platform of choice, uh, whether that's Deezer, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Amazon Alexa. We are on the smart speaker service. Just say, uh, Alexa, play 16 Million Rising podcast. You have to say podcast 
at the end uh, and she'll play it for you uh, you can also catch us on the knots for europe march for rejoin.co.uk websites plus our own it's on an embedded player in the header so you can surf the rest of the site while you're listening we're across all social media apart from tiktok and i'm sure that'll change at some point when i find the time uh, we're on instagram threads facebook youtube and twitter thought will always be twitter well as well as a cesspit of filth but that's another matter threads that's where it's at trust me it's got, it's got a bit better this week i believe you can now edit uh, on the desktop version which is a big big plus for us here at smr i, I just can't do stuff on my phone i know some people can uh, peter core edits videos on his phone i mean no, seriously I, I i digress we are always looking for new subscribers to the show uh, and if you can afford to subscribe from just one pound fifty a month please do we lost uh, a trusted subscriber this week it's always a sad day when i wake up to see that someone is cancelled so if you've been thinking of joining us this is the week to do it for just one pound fifty a month you'll be invited to our christmas zoom as details of which have been sent to all risers whether they're standard value or early uh, we're having a little zoom party on thursday the 21st of december from 7 30 onwards uh, if you are a subscriber and didn't receive your email do let me know 16 million rising all in words at outlook.com that is also the address to send your news, views, rants and bands as audio to, plus your music if you are a musician, a singer, a songwriter, and boy we got a really really good brand new to the show one of those coming up later our tune of the week's a belter and if you can afford a little more than just 150 a month you can subscribe as a value riser from three pounds a month you'll get every week's new show sent to you just after it goes to air on a monday night as a personal digital download to listen to offline whenever whenever you like but from five pounds a month upwards you'll get all the benefits the show a day early sent to your inbox as a digital download full hd stereo to listen to before anyone else gets to hear it a copy of our cd you write the songs 21 terrific pro-european anti-brexit anti-tory bands singers songwriters on there a copy of our four track digital ep march on featuring heseltine himself and you'll be of course invited to our christmas zoom party and our secret facebook group where it's all at uh, i think you'll agree that's quite a lot of benefits for a fiver a month we really need you to broadcast the show to commit to broadcasting it throughout all of 2024 plus to pay for our platforms and boost the show so more people get to hear it the far right may have the big money backers aaron banks but hey wouldn't you rather be on the right side of history instead of the right side of the political spectrum i know i would so before that comes powering its way in your direction we're going to start the show with a little bit of high energy stuff from the brilliant dowling pool uh, willie dowling who uh, we featured on the show very recently of course he was in our top 40 of the year he has a solo project coming out in the new year can't wait for that but in the meantime wrap your earlugs around this one keeping the stupid stupid it's what those tories have been doing for the last 13 years and something tells me that 2024 well that's going to be the year it all comes crashing down around them. Oh, and not a moment too soon Looking this and song 
Keeping the stupid stupid one from the archives there from the brilliant Dowling Pool. Plenty more music to come from the soothsayers Ferry Corsten, Richard Walters, Rosemary Schonfeld and this week's brand new featured artist for our tune of the week. You're listening to SMR, the UK's original pro-European radio show with Ben Chambers. Okay, so now before we go interview crazy, I, I can't help but draw your attention to, to one or two things that have been going on this week. No, don't, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. Rest easy. Nothing from Johnson at the COVID inquiry. Frankly, I just don't have the stomach for it. Bet you weren't expecting that. And uh, speaking of which, I'm pretty sure viewers to the BBC News Channel weren't expecting this. Live from London, this is BBC News. Britain's former Prime Minister Boris Johnson apologises for the... And I've just realised that just simply doesn't work on radio, does it? Uh, it's what you uh, what you heard but couldn't see there was BBC News reader uh, Marion uh, Mashiri um, flipping the bird to, well, everyone watching. Now, I believe this is some kind of running joke, bit of tomfoolery between her and the floor manager and the, the, the camera team, but it went spectacularly wrong when whoever was in charge of cutting to Miriam Mashiri did so a fraction of a second earlier than she was probably expecting, revealing her with her middle finger raised and a rather, well, odd expression on her face for all to see. Now, what makes this even more remarkable is that that very day, Conservative Communications headquarters decided to use that as a meme uh, to somehow portray how they believe Labour deal with immigration. That in turn sparked a backlash from Tory MPs, a number of whom demanded it be taken down because it's, and I quote, beneath us. But no, it stayed up. Michael Gove referred to it only this morning, Sunday, as we put this show together as salty, but entirely valid. Well, I can think of quite a few things that are salty, but entirely valid in the right circumstances. And I'm pretty sure this wasn't one of them. Tell you who else showed her true colours this week. Yeah, another BBC newsreader of source, presenter of BBC Breakfast, Naga Munchetti. Well, she was guest host on last week's Have I Got News For You? And it didn't take her too long to reveal what she really thinks about the former Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. Talking about aggressive WhatsApp exchanges between his advisers and the civil service, Boris Johnson told the inquiry that... Abusive messages are part of the creative process. I'm buying into this, okay? So, Boris, you're a useless tosser. Make of that what you will. Brilliant, isn't it? And uh, you can imagine the backlash that sparked from one or two gammons onto internet. Guys, it's scripted. It, it's satire. Oh, and uh, most importantly, it's true. A terrific episode of Have I Got News For You This Week. Many viewers uh, heralding it the best ever episode, in, in part because of that. Uh, guest Richard Osman, formerly of Pointless, um, not so pointless himself, as he decided to dip into a little bit of politics this week as well. Uh, he wanted to have a few words about the up now suddenly and magically safe country of Rwanda. Uh, in particular, its democratic model to the world. The president of Rwanda got 98% of the vote. Paul yeah, Kagame. It's, it's not bad in the democracy. <laughs> 
Do you mean a clue about how big 98% is on Pointless once? We showed yeah. a picture of planet Earth. Yes. said, what is this? And it scored 91. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to know what the other nine oh answers. Oh, my God. I know. They're out there driving somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Richard Osman, guest on this week's Have I Got News For You? One of our two favourite satirical, comedy, light-hearted news programmes. The other, of course, being Channel 4's brilliant last leg. Odyssey is seriously spending time with the guys led by the brilliant Aussie Adam Hills. Just feels like listening to a few mates down the pub. The, the, the kind of mates down the pub that you want to be down the pub with. Not this year's third place runner-up on I'm a Celebrity, Nigel Frogface Ferrari. OK, here we go. So, it's been... Four days since the Prime Minister revealed a new migration bill <laughs> and unveiled a new treaty with Rwanda that he says will allow refugees to be deported there. It's been... Two days since Immigration Minister Robert Jenrick resigned, saying that the treaty with Rwanda didn't go far enough. And... It's been... One day since Rishi Sunak called a press conference at Downing Street and came across like a substitute teacher who finally snapped. <laughs> I mean, how can I help it if I think it's, he's funny when he's mad? Because Rishi Sunak... Rishi Sunak's got to tell, and I've realised this, you know Rishi Sunak's rattled when he finishes a sentence with the word, right? Okay, watch this revealing compilation of how many times he did it in a three-minute period yesterday. The number of small boat arrivals into this country had quadrupled in the past few years, right? We've got the numbers down by a third, right? Hundreds and hundreds of people, right? That's because this is ridiculous what's going on, right? I'm confident I can get this thing done, right? The question is for the Labour Party, right? I mm-hmm. see, I think what's happened there, I think he's kind of, you know, he's going like, right? As in like trying to be down with the kids. I yeah. think I know what's happened. Mm. He started binging Top Boy on Netflix. <laughs> I'm telling you now, give it a couple of weeks, he's going to be doing those going, you get me? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's insecurity. I think it's the same reason Australians go up at the end of the sentence. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's born of insecurity, because we like, are you still listening? I'm not sure if I'm making any sense. Look. Rishi Sunak was clearly thrown by the resignation of his good friend, Immigration Minister Robert Jenrick, who, by the way, is the seventh Immigration Minister since Brexit. Uh, We've got the lengthy letter here. He said the Rwanda Treaty didn't go far enough, and he ended his letter by saying, it has been an honour to serve in government for five Conservative Prime Ministers. (laughs) Right? He said that as if it's a long time. That's only eight years. To put that into perspective, there have been six Labour Prime Ministers ever. They've had so many of these, haven't they? Like, it was Suella Bravman the other yep. week, Jenrick this week. I reckon they just skipped time. I reckon they just got it as a template on Word now, the <laughs> resignation letter. <laughs> the thing with Robert, you know, you say you, you, you feel sorry for him. And look, yep. you don't want to see somebody out of work yep. just before Christmas. Yep. And, 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 you, and you, you just go, you know, that, that's sad. But then you remember that this is a bloke who wanted uh, to paint over a mural, mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, a cartoon mural in an immigration centre for child asylum seekers who are unaccompanied and he wanted yep. to paint over it because he felt it was too welcoming yep. for them. So, um, fuck him. I do love that show. But let's get serious now. One of this week's two guests was the brilliant Baroness Saida Vasi. Um, what do I think of the Rwanda bill? It, it's such a mess on so many levels. If you think about where we started out, where we basically, well, Boris Johnson decided, Pretty Patel decided, Pretty Enoch Patel decided that she was going to send, <laughs> she was going to, she was going to send all these people off to Rwanda. And let's let's just think about who she's talking about. The people that are coming over on small boats. I think it's important to remember the statistics. Seventy-five percent of them are likely to, and having the past based on previous statistics, being granted asylum. So these people, seventy-five percent of them, are legitimate. 
refugees who yeah. are going to be given refugee status. 20% of them are children. Most of them are coming from countries like Syria and Afghanistan, where we don't have any legal rules for people coming over to this country and are in the middle of wars. Um, and most of them are from countries where we've closed most legitimate routes for people getting here. So when you close down the space when pe for people to come here, then of course they're going to find any desperate way to get out of these countries that they're trying to escape from. And it's just a mess. I mean, if you look at the Rwanda deal, effectively we've now got to a position where if you come to this country and want to claim asylum, the government wants to send you to Rwanda to claim asylum there and to stay there. However, there's an exception. If you're from Rwanda and you want to claim asylum, you can come to this country and claim asylum. <laughs> What, if you say that it's dangerous for you in Rwanda? Yeah, so, so if, hang on. So if, you, if you're a Rwandan, you could come here and go, oh, it's really dangerous with all those refugees that you've just sent there. Yeah. And then you get in here. And we'd have to accept that. But if you're a refugee here and you were sent to Rwanda, we're just about to pass a law which says, we don't care what the facts are and we don't care what the court says, we just say Rwanda's safe, so off you pop. So the government are now saying that Rwanda is self-identifying as safe? The, the, exactly, exactly. The government are self-identifying Rwanda as safe and they're basically saying it doesn't matter what independent evidence says, it doesn't matter what the court says. Remember, it was a unanimous court decision to say that we think that it's not a safe place for people to yeah, go yeah. into. Um, so now we're just going to pass a bill or we're going to try and pass a bill through the two um, House, of well, House of Parliament, House of Commons, House of Lords, just, just say we think it's safe. So because we say it, it is. Hang on, but that means it has to pass by you. So we Yeah, well, I'm not voting for it. So. <laughs> wow. Okay. Tory, yeah, Tory peer, Baroness Saida Varsi. She was actually, um, I think, co-chairwoman, chairperson of the Tory party from 2010 to 2012. I mean, wow. Uh, back to uh, serious uh, political affairs programmes now. And the brilliant Victoria Derbyshire was on fine form, when isn't she, on Newsnight last week with Rachel McLean. Uh, McLean? McLean? Oh, who cares? She's a Tory. Schooling her brilliant. On the reality of the Rwanda deal. Let me give you the reality from the Supreme Court just three weeks ago. It wasn't just about sending people back to their own country where they might have been at risk of torture or death. Rwanda has little or no experience of considering asylum applications. Where Rwanda has declined asylum applications, no written reasons have been provided and there's no right of appeal. Asylum applicants in Rwanda have had no recourse to appeal. Although a right of appeal has existed since 2018, there's never been an appeal in practice. The Rwandan asylum process is marked by an absence of legal representation, etc, 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 etc. Where's the evidence they've sorted all that out apart from your 12-page bill stating that Rwanda suddenly, magically, is safe. No, Rwanda has always been a safe country. Uh, Rwanda is a modern democracy. You're ignoring are... all those points <coughs> no, I've just I, given I, to I'm you from not, the Supreme no, Court. I, I'm, not, I'm not ignoring it, with respect. Uh, we have dealt with that with the, Where's new, the, evidence? the new treaty that we signed. Uh, this, is, this, is inter this is how treaties are made. Uh, we have made a, we've made a treaty with Rwanda. Uh, they are a, a country that we've worked with, we have a good relationship sure. with. We just they want are, to see the are, evidence. They are taking this, this, this seriously because they want to live up to their own responsibilities to treat people properly. Of course Where, they where's do. Where's the evidence? What, what evidence exactly? The evidence to show that they have suddenly better experience of considering asylum applications, that there is now a right of appeal, that applicants can get legal representation. Where's the evidence the, to show the, us so that? So they can. And they wow. You, you know, serious-minded political journalists like Victoria must get to the point 
where they think, how do I even begin to debate this with this person? Because they're not on the same planet. They're not on the same mental level, at least, as I am. I mean, for those who don't know, yeah, a, a bill is about to go through Parliament that basically declares that because the Tories say Rwanda is a safe country, in direct opposition to that unanimous ruling from the Supreme Court, it's a safe country. No one can explain how that works. <laughs> As you can hear, Victoria's guest there was certainly struggling too. And by the time you listen to this show, it will be on its journey through Parliament. Uh, hopefully a very short journey indeed. All of which, of course, spells big, big problems for Sunak's authority. Do you know, there must be something in the water at the BBC because <laughs> uh, Nick Robinson from Radio 4's Today programme, I I've never... Seriously, I've never heard him speak to anyone like this. Although his guest was Suella Braverman, so, you know. You see, when you're on the radio and the television, Suella Braverman, you talk about substance, you talk quite reasonably. When I ask you questions about tough language, you sort of laugh at me as if I'm the one talking about a Conservative death wish. You've condemned the leader of your party's uncertain, weak and lacking in leadership. You've said he never had any intention of keeping his promises. You've accused him of betrayal and wishful thinking. You've attacked lawyers, judges, civil servants, the head of the Metropolitan Police, people who are worried about deaths in Gaza. You've attacked the homeless. You've attacked migrants as being part of an invasion. Isn't the truth you're a headline grabber who does it by spreading poison even within your own party? <laughs> Wow. Mic drop moments. Uh, seriously, that is one brave man. That is one brave man. Sitting opposite Cruella Braverman. Okay, even though she's not Home Secretary now and presumably can't just have him locked up. I'll say it again. That's one brave man. Uh, now, in all seriousness, I really do want to draw your attention to this. It's something that hosts Fiona Bruce. And yes, she had a great week last week. Not so much this week, but it's it's something that Fiona Bruce does all too regularly as host of BBC's Question Time. Uh, she'll, she'll gather the general consensus of opinion amongst the audience, who she makes a point of saying every week are made up as representative of the electoral picture in the country at the time. So presumably quite a lot of Tories in there. But when she discovers that they're all pretty much on the same page, she always, always, without fail, deploys the same trick. She'll ask them how they all feel about an issue and if there's anyone in the audience that is diametrically opposed, that thinks the exact opposite. And then she hears from them. In fact, she'll hear from anyone that has the opposing view. So let's say the view, as it was this week, is that the Rwanda policy is batshit crazy. Uh, not my words. No, the, the, the words of our Home Secretary, James Cleverly, but that's another issue. Uh, let's say the audience is pretty much on the same page, as they were when she asked them. Take a listen. Just in the interest of balance, there are, I know there are Conservative voters in the audience here, and the Prime Minister, and I presume you, Johnny, clearly think that this is something that will win votes. That's why they're pursuing it. Who here does support the Rwanda policy? OK, so now I haven't counted, so I don't know how many are in the, the, the Question Time audience, but it's, it's well over 100. Two hands went up. Two hands went up. So let me break this down for you. Up until that point in the show, let's say she's heard from, as was the case this week, two people opposed to the Rwanda policy. 
She's now going to hear from two people who presumably think it's a good idea. False equivalence. This was called out by Emily Maitlis before she left the BBC to set up news agents with John Sopel and co. Something she took responsibility for and said she regretted. The example she gave was the BBC scrabbling around, spending hours and hours and hours to find anyone that would come on to a panel show to debate Brexit and defend it to speak up in favour of it economically or for any other reason, uh, the hours that they would spend doing that compared to the seconds it would take to find an economist that they could get on the show and say it was a load of old crap. They stick both of them, either side of a presenter, thereby giving the audience the impression that both views are equally valid, but not only that, are shared by an equal number of economists, bankers, uh, people with an understanding of financial responsibility. Just as in that case, here in the audience last week, she gave equal weight, equal weight to people that thought Rwanda was a daft idea, to people that thought it was a good one. In my view, that is highly irresponsible journalism. Highly irresponsible. Now, fortunately, most of us can see through it, but of course, not everyone can. And to top it all off, this was the view of one of the people she chose to let speak. There are about 500 million distressed and traumatised people in the world. So how many do we want to come to the UK is the first point, which is a rather obvious point. Uh, the, the second point is that let's try everything, because um, short of um, taking really drastic action, what else can one do but try everything? Yeah, anyone else apart from me wondering what the uh, really drastic action was that was uh, presumably passing its way through his mind. We're almost ready to leave Rwanda where it belongs for this week, but I can't finish this segment of the show without playing to you, quite possibly, and I mean this, one of the greatest contributions to Question Time in its history. He made a quite a thing of it being, I think, about 20, 20 plus years since he had been on the show, if at all. The wonderful George Monbiot. Uh, despite sporting quite a cold, George managed to squeeze this contribution into the midst of the show and I think spoke for every decent minded person in the UK. Look, of all the hills to die on, this has got to be the most ridiculous. I mean, it's just absurd. The whole point of the Rwanda policy is not to try to solve anything. It's to performatively beat up some of the most vulnerable and traumatised people on earth in order to distract attention. <laughs> to distract attention from the government's own failures. And Johnny says, this is giving the working people of this country something. The only thing this is giving the working people of this country is to show them that somebody else is worse off than they are. Because that somebody is being performatively beaten up by the government. That's the point of the policy. And we have this ridiculous new bill, which is the first one I've ever seen, which tries to legislate the nature of reality. It says, we will legislate that Rwanda is a safe country. Regardless of whether Rwanda is or is not a safe country, we will put it in the law that it is a safe country. You might as well have a bill which legislates that the moon is made of green cheese. <laughs> we have reached the point now, after 13 years of these fiascos, of total absurdity. They, they're not even intending to put this into implementation. They don't intend 
to make this a viable policy. They're just desperately throwing up clouds of dust in order to distract from the absolute catastrophe that this government has become for the great majority of the people of this country. And that, and that would be a point of mere amusement for comfortable people like ourselves sitting behind this table. But it has real consequences for real people. And among those people are people who have already suffered appalling things, unspeakable things, and just desperately want refuge, a safe haven. And what do they get instead? They get a government of sadists deliberately beating them up in order to show how tough they are. And now we have to face the night We're both so tired from this fight The storms and tides sure seem set against us Who builds these walls growing tall between us Let me hold you close And let our hearts beat together through this stormy weather Let my love heal those wounds upon your soul And we'll get strong and carry on How came this hatred to our days? We just live and work our own way we pay our taxes we pay our way and now they say we don't belong well they are wrong but their voices are so loud their power strong let me hold you close and let our hearts beat together through this Stormy weather Let my love heal those wounds upon your soul And we'll get strong And carry on They say that help is trying to make it through the lines They get pushed back But they keep trying They want to tell us it will all be fine but they are climbing a mountain oh so high And we don't have time No, we don't have time We're told that we should go back home We've lived here more than 15 years This is our home Their face is hard, their eyes are cold Their anger burning at us Glad to have somebody to blame It's a crying shame It's a crying shame So let me hold you close And let our hearts beat together Through this stormy weather Let my love heal those wounds upon your soul And we'll get strong and carry on
will get strong and carry on I find it very, very hard to understand We share this earth, we share the land We're not that different, we can all help plan A better world before we make it disappear For everyone, it's the same fear Now, let me hold you close And let our hearts beat together through this stormy weather Let my love heal those wounds upon your soul And we'll get strong and carry on Rosemary Schoenfeld there with her beautiful track The Migrant's Lament Very fitting given the theme of this week's show And in just a moment You're about to hear the first part of my three-part interview With uh, British legendary director Ken Loach I would argue it's pretty much impossible to be a fan of film and not be aware of at least some of his uh, output over the past seven decades. Uh, of course, first coming to prominence in the very late 60s with Poor Cow, Kathy Come Home, and of course, Kez, who I'm sure many, like, like, like me, were introduced to, wheeled in on one of those TVs into a year nine or year ten, actually, no, it's probably fourth or fifth year uh, classroom, uh, way back in the early to mid 80s. Uh, well, since then, Ken has gone on to forge a career renowned for exposing social injustice and seeking to change it for the better. He's worked with household names Robert Carlyle, Peter Mullen, Brian Cox, Killian Murphy, of course, the uh, star, the lead in last summer's Oppenheimer, as well as Oscar favourite, the always brilliant Francis McDormand. But he's also uh, spent a lot of his career working with non-professional first-time actors. Uh, there's a reason for that. We discuss it as part of our interview uh, that's culminated in him releasing a kind of a loose trilogy based in the northeast of England beginning with I Daniel Blake which won him his second palm door moving on to sorry we missed you and now uh, in the last couple of months the old oak uh, before I talk to Ken, uh, I just want you to hear this, uh, as well as some clips from the film. You'll hear here from writer uh, Paul Laverty, uh, of course, director Ken Loach himself, and some of the cast of his new film. Take a listen. I am Amna Al-Ali. I came uh, with my family as a refugee in 2018 from Syria to the UK. And uh, I played Fatima's role in the Old Oak film. If you need anything, just ask. Per capita, there was more refugees sent to the northeast in Scotland than any other part of the country because this housing was cheaper. And so the people who lived there felt dumped upon, felt angry. Funny, isn't it? Uh, they always put them around here, but they never put them in Chelsea or Westminster. Well, of course they? they don't. They don't want them living by them. But right in the middle of all that, there was also people who wanted to try and understand what was going on. Wish I can get a bike. I've lost everything. I seem to understand. Came to this country and had absolutely nothing other than the clothes on the back. He 
told us there is a film, it will be about the refugee, and if you would like to be part of this, come meet Ken Lewish. We were between yes or no, but after we met him, we saw him, he's a very kind person, and we say, why not, we will try. It did feel like there was going to be an enormous challenge to do justice to both these communities, the people who had lived there post-industrialization, and one that is even doubly traumatized by the war. And we're not trying to make an equation between the two because the trauma of what the Syrians went through is just mind-boggling in its cruelty. So it all felt very, very fragile, but we felt that this was going to be, you know, bigger than we expected. So important because we met lots of people here in the UK and when they asked us why you came to this country, when we tell them, do you know anything about the problem in our country, they said no. And after that, when we tell them the story, they get shocked. There's a hundred people into one cell. Only few survive. But I have to be strong for my family. But it's all just a big act. So sorry, Yara. The privilege of meeting those people and being able to try and include their experience in some way into the story. They're not just putting on a costume and walking on the set. Every one of those people carries a history that is extraordinary. Feeling that you are uh, moving to a new country and a new life was mixed between uh, fear and happiness because not knowing what we are going to face. When you eat together, you stick together. We used to do the same before we left Syria. We used to cook together too with our neighbors. Except the refugee. No one knows what they faced to come to this country. It's not easy, but when we accept them, we will give them support. It's the most important thing. I have a friend who calls hope obscene, but if I stop hoping, my heart will stop beating. Uh, that was a clip from the latest film uh, by director Ken Loach, The Old Oak. And I'm both delighted and honoured to welcome Ken to the show now. Welcome, Ken. Um, nice to talk to you. Wonderful to talk to you. Wonderful to see you. How are you, sir? Where, where do we find you today? Um, well, uh, I'm, at, uh, I'm at home in the West Country. Um, You're at home in the West Country. Wonderful. Uh, indeed, yes. <laughs> Beautiful. I hope the weather's a little better there than it is up here in Durham, <laughs> because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm broadcasting from outside the city of Durham in a former Pitt Village community, um, just outside um, Bishop Auckland, uh, which, of course, Pitt Village being the setting for your latest film. So as a yeah. refugee, which I am from far too expensive Norfolk <laughs> to County Durham, I was very um, keen um, to speak with you about the film that's set and shot where I actually live. But, but before I get stuck in, I just wanted to start by referencing an interview that you did recently with uh, Jackie Walker, I think it was, at Redline, who said she was yet to see the film when she spoke to you uh, and was encouraged by you to, to lower her expectations, <laughs> given her enthusiasm after just watching the trailer. Well, I have seen the film, um, and in light of your two previous films, Ken, it's safe to say my expectations couldn't have been much higher. Um, and without wishing to make you blush, um, I have to say, not only did it exceed them, um, it's easily in my top five films of the year, but it's left a mark 
on me in the way that few films do and I was close to tears throughout wiping them uh, away at the end uh, and it made me ever more determined to be part of, of the change that's needed in both public perception and grassroots practical getting out there and doing stuff so thank you very much for the film well that, that's that's very uh, very kind of you um, I mean it's it was written by Paul Laverty, who's um, an important. Well, we, you know, we we work fifty-fifty on the film. I mean, Paul Paul confronts the blank sheet of paper, so and they belong to Paul. And but he's uh, he's a good friend and comrade, and um, we've worked together for thirty years. But it's also the. I mean, everyone contributes, and we've we I'm just one of a group of you know. Well, um, the, the others are brilliant. Um, have a real generosity about them and a humanity and yeah. care for people and and I think their their collective work or our collective work I, I hope comes through um, but it was um, it was a, an important film to make for us really um, we'd done as you say we'd done two previous two films in in the northeast yeah which for those who don't know it I think is a very special area Um it's a very, it's a very different. Some regions in England spill over into each other. I mean, I'm from the Midlands, and it's, it doesn't have that sort of concise um, uh, regional identity that the Northeast has. I mean, the, the Northeast is, is is very specific. It's got a very strong tradition. It was built on the old industries of mm. you know, shipbuilding, coal mining, and steel, and now they've all gone. So um, that means there's the, the basic industries they have gone, but um, the new jobs are gig economy jobs, mm. precarious work, and insecurity. Um, that unites the area. The, it has a, a, a strong language, um, its own dialect, its own, I mean, you'll be very familiar with it, <laughs> I mean, it's, um, its own words. Um, it, the landscape is spectacular. It has two very good football teams. The, <laughs> um, I could say Newcastle and Newcastle Reserves, but I won't. It's Newcastle <laughs> and Sunderland, and Sunderland are, you know, also very strong footballing. Um, Sunderland is also a very strong footballing community, and, um, you know, also a football team with a great history. So, two mm. great football teams, wonderful landscape, um, historic buildings. Mm. Um, and so it's a very special area and that's why we've been there three times now just introduce us to briefly to the actual um more immediate world of the film um the the area in which it's shot the the central characters um without giving too much away for those who haven't seen it um it's um it, it's set in a pit village near the, uh, the coast near the north sea in in, uh, in county durham um a fictional village is made up of three villages very close together the point about a pit village is that the community is built around the pit the pit head mm. there'd be the pit in the middle and miners houses around it and then countryside so when the mine shut yeah. the community was abandoned by uh, both the conservative government i mean margaret thatcher that that consciously destroyed the mining the mine, mining communities not for ecological reasons but because they were the strongest trade union in the land she destroyed them and the labor party new labor under tony blair did nothing and the community that had been strong and built on the solidarity of the mining industry because in the pit if your life depends on the person next to you mm. you know so solidarity is built into the work 
and it, it transfers into the union and the strength of the union um, and um, and that's what they, they were determined to destroy and which New Labour did nothing to to rescue. So now, um, 30 to 40 years later, 35 years later, the, the communities have, what is left of them, um, are very sad. Shops have closed, families have gone, so the property is very cheap. Um, the infrastructure is gone, often villages are without a school, so the kids have to travel. Yeah. What work there is, is as, as I said, is precarious work. It's, it, people have to leave the community to, to find work or travel during the day or doing meat fairly work that doesn't provide a wage that the mining mines used to provide. And, and there's a sense of desolation and emptiness. And this was the third story we wanted to tell, the cost of that dis- conscious destruction of communities. Mm. And then Paul heard the story of the arrival of refugees from the Syrian war. And we realized that the introduction of another community clarifies the the situation of the of the mining ex-mining community and also the divisions within it and the memory of the the great strike that led to its closure and the defeat of that strike the memory of the mines the memories of that solidarity and the conflicts within that community but also say something about the desperate trauma of people trying to survive from a war. Um, Absolutely. Where they've lost family members and so on. Yeah, I, mean, I want to talk a little bit about the casting and the, the extraordinary cast that you have for this film, which of course ties in with the last three. You've worked with some of the most gifted actors of the past seven decades. I don't mean to make you sound old. Uh, Brian Cox, Peter Mullen, Killian Murphy, Robert Carlyle, four times Oscar winner Francis, Francis McDormand. Um, but perhaps more than any other director, you've sought out non-professional actors first time to tell your stories now your northeast trilogy if i may call it that beginning with um the heartbreaking i daniel blake uh moving through the painfully raw sorry uh, we missed you and now again with the old oak are pretty much cast without names that anyone watching will be familiar with what's the thinking behind that well i mean ideally you want people just to see this see the film um, listen to the story, see the story unfold, identify the characters they see on the screen as just the characters in the mm-hmm. story. Um, and they've got to be authentic. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to feel that if they're watching a documentary, they wouldn't challenge the, the identity of the people they're watching. And particularly when it, it is in, in these films, it's very specifically about this, this area then the people have got to be from there. Yeah. You can't get people put, putting on accents because that plain it's not about phonetics, it's about the whole use of language. It's, it's, it's a history within the language. You can't just put on a voice. Um, so credibility is very important and, um, and, and just believe. So we see everyone when we're casting and Carleen Crawford is a brilliant casting director and again good friend yeah i mean we we start together and we see as many people as we can and then carlin and her team just scour the schools or the the area or the the comics in the area the musicians or everybody you can think of people Mm. suggest trade unions we've seen so on and um and read and recognize actors as well you know maybe they've moved away um i mean one one of those is the guy who plays charlie trevor fox who's a brilliant actor Mm. from the bay area lovely man 
absolutely committed to the way we've tried to work um, and was immensely important in the film to us. It's a range from ex- known from experienced actors to people who have done very little. Um, yeah. And the Syrian families are the Syrian families from the area. Um, and Ebla uh, is from, uh, she's, well, she says, occupied Syria, the Golan Heights. Um, TJ is, is uh, Dave Turner, who's, who was in the previous two films in, in the small parts. And we thought he was a really interesting guy. Um, and we, there's just a truth and a generosity about it. Absolutely, him. absolutely. And I think that, that comes through so strongly strongly on the screen because it's certainly from people I've spoken to the level of empathy that you feel with those characters is certainly for me heightened because you know that they have experienced the world of the film and there's no doubt that they're they're not just learning lines and and they're not just acting you kind of miss the fact that they may be acting it's extraordinary it really is Um, I I once read a review of a film that I like very much which said um, and I quote the film fails to convince on any level it wasn't one of yours Um, I happen to disagree but it got me thinking that that should be what all good films aspire to um and something i've always found with your work from poor cow and and kez all the way through to your most recent films is that they always convince on every level and obviously part of that is the casting but tell me about the writing process the 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 script is is obviously as you've mentioned by your long-term writing collaborator uh, paul laverty but throughout the film the dialogue the mannerisms the interactions between these characters and their environment is so authentic it's so engaging so believable it's tempting to assume that the script was developed on set through improvisation is that the case or is it just that paul is so in tune with his subject that the the two ways of working are indistinguishable no paul writes very precisely really and uh, 95 percent of what you hear are the paul's are what paul's written i mean maybe the you know the order of the words change around a bit but the in essence it's what paul it's what paul's written um, um, the, the Syrians, obviously, and, and um, Ebla, who, who plays Yara, is, I mean, she, she has her own way of speaking English because she's, you know, she's, um, she speaks Arabic as a main language. But, um, so, I mean, she'll maybe rephrase something so that it's, yeah. it's in the way she, the words she would have. But the essence of it is Paul's. But the writing goes beyond just the dialogue. The writing is mm. the imagining the characters. It's the story, their, their interaction. It's the narrative. It's the resolution of that narrative. Um, and so the, the writing is much more than the dialogue. Mm, absolutely. But then, so, and and uh, what we do, we talk about a subject. You know, a subject emerges out of endless daily chats. Um, we talk about it. Paul will write two or three characters down. We'll talk about those. We'll talk about the basic location, which was the old the pub. Yes, yes. And, and the, why that's an, an important focus, and we talk about that. And then um, if we if we kick it around and we think it's a go, then Paul will write a first draft. And he, he writes very fast there in four <laughs> or five weeks. I mean, absolutely co- hard, concentrated work maybe six, <laughs> he'll um, <laughs> have a first draft. And then that goes to and fro. Mm. Um, and again, what's good about Paul, he's, he's really is a team player. Yeah. So, yeah. And because we know we both start from the same understanding of the way the world works, we know the suggestion each makes comes from the same core idea. So you're never, fight, you're never battling on the basis of the film. You're, it's just... 
what what's going to work best in terms of telling the story concisely and precisely and reflecting all the nuances we want to reflect. And then Paul is with us. Um, he comes as often as he can. I mean, what's also very good is that if, I mean, he'll, he'll when we're shooting, he'll, if he's there, he'll he'll listen, sit with Ray Beckett, great sound recorders, you know, and li- listen, and and he maybe hear something that I haven't picked up. So he'll just come suddenly, mutter something in my ear. It's, it, but I mean, some directors wouldn't like that, but I, I yeah. welcome him. I know it's, it, I know it's. It's important, um, and he's very sensitive to that. So, so that's always helpful. But the other thing is when when there's some, you know, just we try to shoot fast, but you know, do it in six weeks. But there's still moments when actors or you know, the players are sitting around, mm. and Paul go along and exchange, have a chat, and incidentally say something about the the situation in the film. So yeah, so the, those those chats to. The, the cast that are that seem inconsequential but are actually very supportive yeah yeah it just it just keeps it helps to bind people together and and again he's very good at that because it's not um it's not here i'm going to tell you how to do this mm. it's just you know when we were doing the research we had this little story or um you, you know or sharing a thought or just you know find something that when you're shooting i, I you obviously I'm, I'm struggling to get the shots in so that's really helpful and also i mean i hear a lot of laughter coming when he's there and that's <laughs> honestly it sounds silly but the benefit of that it means that people are they're, they're um, they, they, it's energetic there's a there's a kind of creative energy around worth its weight in gold if you, there's nothing else it'll bring us a cup of coffee man. oh so, well there's um, that <laughs> brilliant and, and talk football to the crew you know I mean he's a great great guy you're a football fan aren't you Ken I believe that you're a, is it Bath supporter Bath City yes Bath City uh, we had a, uh, I was very sad last night okay um, sorry because I was I was travelling back from London um, very late um, I, we were playing at home to our greatest traditional rivals Yeovil historic um, football team they, they were relegated down to our division we haven't played them in the league yeah I listened to the commentary for the first half because I thought I was I didn't arrive home until after kickoff so I, I was too I thought too late to go half time we were drawing nil nil and sounded like the better team I thought I've got to go to this so <laughs> got to lift to the game um, and then they scored. We're, we're risking getting distracted here because I'm a big football fan. My, my team are the Canaries, Norwich City, who are having right. mixed, mixed uh, fortunes in the championship at the moment. Yeah. But, but back to the film. Um, the, the film is set in, in 2016. Paul set the, the film in 2016, yes, seven yeah. years ago. Um, why that period in history? To find out why, join me in just a short while for the second part of my interview with Ken. But right now, it's time for our tune of the week. Uh, thank you so much to listener Sabine uh, for drawing my attention to this. Uh, singing now about an issue which arises in the second part of my interview with Ken Loach. This is Louise Harris with a quite simply stunning track about the climate crisis called Simply We Tried. June of the week. The world is changing all the time. 
It's a money-making industry. When the wind isn't blowing, the sun isn't shining, how are people to heat their home? But it's morally right to honour our promises. Well, maybe this was meant to be A mother wanted peace And we were not conceived Well, maybe we were but not enough good drowned out the sin They watch the world cave in But I, I can't work out why So I'm 24 years old and I'm here I'm here because I don't have a future why did it take young people like me up on a fucking gantry on the M25 for you to listen 
Now, if you, like me, would love to see a track like that, more specifically that track, as Christmas number one, simply go to Google, pop in Louise Harris, double R Harris, uh, and We Tried, and the song will come up on streaming and download platforms, and of course, YouTube. Click on any of them, you'll find links to it everywhere. Buy it. Stream it share it because that's how i came to know it was even there in the first place so thank you once again to sabine for for pointing me in the right direction of that truly beautiful track all i can say is do the planet a favor go out and buy it now you write the songs you make the news and we will be with you whatever quite right and well said thanks to tim wells for his new idents for the show right now some of you will be aware that a friend of the show and labor social guru graham hughes has recently in fact only i think last week been back to the war-torn country of ukraine not just to the border but actually to lviv uh it's about 60 50 60 miles from the polish border with something rather special for children affected by the very worst of the fighting in the east of the country, Kharkiv. Uh, He joins me now to tell us all about it and uh, stay listening because uh, included in this brief interview is uh, the the website you need to go to to take a look at some of the the photography, uh, the images of children receiving the gifts that he took to them, as well as how you can get involved in his next project for Easter. So I'm here with my main man, Graham Hughes. He's fresh back from uh, Ukraine again. Uh, Tell us about this trip, Graham. What was the purpose? Who did you go with? Give us all the deets. (laughs) Well, uh, you say again, but last year I didn't actually go over the border with the uh, humanitarian aid that we took over there because it was for the refugees, the refugee centre at Medaika. Uh, which is on the border with Poland and Ukraine. So what we decided to do this year was we, we've got to do a Christmas uh, Santa run. We've got to fill a car up with presents, wrapped presents, and take them over to our contacts over there uh, in Lviv, and they would forward them to the Kharkiv Bla- uh, the Kharkiv Oblast, which is right next to where it's all kicking off. You know, it, it's yeah. a thousand kilometers from. Lviv um, and uh, yeah we, we, it just got this phenomenal response it sort of captured people's imaginations uh, we got forwarded by Carol Vorderman which led to uh, us ending up spending over £4,000 on presents mostly Fantastic. Lego Fantastic it's always good to have um, a bit of promo from Vorders that's got to help yeah, <laughs> it was just a phenomenal that's response real. We filled up a transit van full of presents. Amazing. Now, was this primarily Lego then? Because I heard originally that yes. the, the plan was to take Lego bricks. Is that because yeah. Lego, like Charlie Chaplin, is the universal toy? Everybody yes. gets it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it's not particularly gendered usually. Um, yeah, and yeah, obviously yeah. We, we don't know the names of the kids that it's going to, so it was better to have something more generalised so that... But we, we um, I worked with uh, a guy called Adam, um, who was helping us last year, actually, um, when we were travelling over uh, to the refugee centre in, in Poland. And uh, he was phenomenal. His, his daughter and his wife and his mother-in-law managed to wrap over 400 individual presents in wrapping paper. Goodness me. Uh, and, the, and they had a little picture on the front of each that they printed yeah. out uh, with what was inside so that the charity that we're working with 
in Ukraine would know what they were giving the kids and they could obviously take that off before. Of course, because you've over. got Duplo for the very young kids and you've got the more yes. technical Lego Technic, for yeah. older kids. So presumably you've got the whole yeah. gamut then of, of Lego. Yeah, most of the children that we bought the presents for are between the ages of two and eight. And um, this is going to children's centres. Yeah, um, yeah. Also children with special needs. Um, and also children who have been displaced by the war. Don't forget, there's a lot of internally displaced people now, especially children yeah. in Ukraine, because a fifth of the country has been invaded by Russia. And so a lot of the population is now living with family or friends or well-wishers or whatever in other parts of the country. Um, so it's, it's, it's a pretty miserable situation for yeah. a lot of these kids growing up in this environment. You do what you can, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was going to ask, what's it like walking into... Where did you get the Lego from? What's it like buying £4,000 worth of Lego? I mean, <laughs> well, that, that, was that, Adam, that, that was Adam, his wife, Ali, and his daughter, Lottie. They, they yeah. went out uh, in Germany and bought it all. So Goodness me. to bring this back to Brexit, because obviously this is yeah. a, a Brexit yeah, yeah. radio show, if it hadn't been for Brexit, we would have bought the Lego in the UK. Hey, of we course. would have spent all that money and all that VAT would yeah. have gone to the British uh, a Chancellor Exchequer but it didn't yeah. it was all bought in Germany because we thought it's going to be a ball ache to get it out of the country yeah <laughs> <laughs> because there we go. they want to know what we're, what we're trying to take out. And it was it was difficult getting the, the, the stuff in to Ukraine. They actually changed the rules on humanitarian aid coming in on the day that we arrived. So December uh, the 1st, we were at the oh, border. We were there for five hours. Oh, good. I would be surprised if Lego was ever cold. considered humanitarian aid anyway. But I mean, Well, no, we had to pretend that it wasn't. Oh, this I is see. the mad thing. Right. We can say this now because we're back and we're finished. But we yeah. ended up having to say, oh, it's all used clothes. Oh, and we got some of our clothes and we put them on top of we opened the box put them on top of the box took pictures and said it's all used clothes that's it because that was the only way we could get in and we still you, had to pay 300 euros you're get, lucky uh, there wasn't an international euros. incident there then that, that sounds quite <laughs> <laughs> honestly sort of international espionage lego, the lego smugglers <laughs> yeah lego gate good brick gate that's I think something else once the new system beds in it won't be a problem sure but, sure uh, it, so, it's one of those things where you've got to go to the government website and the government website isn't quite set up yet and yeah, yeah. For those people who don't know, then Lviv obviously is in the west of Ukraine. It's about what 50, 60 miles from the Polish border. Yeah, it's not far. It's, it's about an hour's it, drive from the border. It's it's not an area of intense fighting or any fighting at oh, all. Not at all. No. no, no. And it used to be um, it used to be Polish. I think it was called Lemberg at one point. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, before then, I think it was part of the Prussian Empire. It's a beautiful city. What yeah, we did yeah. was um, we, we couldn't get the presence all the way to Kharkiv. There's a couple of reasons behind this. First of all, the road's not great. The road yeah. from the border. To to Lviv, it's fine, but then Lviv to Kharkiv, it's it's not as easy. Um, and and Kharkiv's also, in the east of Ukraine, isn't it? That's yeah, yeah, actually yeah. In the water, it's right the, by the border with with uh, Belarus. So is that is that now technically occupied territory, or is no. that on the front no. line behind no. the front line? It, it is just behind the front line. Yeah, that, that yeah. area, the yeah. Oblast, you know, the region yeah. is called Kharkiv as well. Um, sure. And uh, yeah, the, there's there's a lot of villages uh, really suffering from the brunt of this yeah. Russian aggression. It might not be that they're getting bombed dropped on them but it's things like the mm. power keeps going out mm. in the middle of winter yeah. which you know isn't great um so yeah the 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 idea was that we you know we wanted to get these presents to to Kharkiv but then when we looked at it we tried to do it in the most sort of cost effective way possible so uh, a, a nice company lent us the van uh from from Germany so I flew to Germany 
to meet up with the other guys and then mm. three of us it was me and Frank the Tank and Adam Major Adam ex-services British uh, British Army um, they they uh, came with us and they uh, came with me and they um, we, we took turns driving through Germany through Poland sure, we got sure. to Lviv and then we met up with our contact uh, Rob Peacock who is uh, organising uh, with his charity over there the charity he works for uh, which works with children so it's essentially their version of children in need sure um, so, so he's going to be responsible for getting it from Lviv to Kharkiv yeah. Yeah. No, it's already done it was already done so it's all we done used the, we right. used the, the Ukrainian postal service we filled up four massive pallets of toys yeah, and aid wow. and uh, it cost us 311 euros and it was uh, sent on the Friday it was delivered on the Sunday it's already we've had dozens of presents that have already gone out to villages and right. centres around uh, any photos any ev- yeah. feedback got from them. people got, you've I've got, got them already yeah yeah I've got pictures of kids with the you've presents got pictures like, of kids with their presents yeah, that's already it's all about already. Isn't it, seeing that and that, that's, that that is an efficiency that you might not expect no it's not a place that is technically a war zone but it is you yeah. can't get insurance if you go to Ukraine oh, goodness. <laughs> um, so you gotta you know drive safely um, and uh, yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, the, the the people that we met were absolutely lovely um, of course we, we were chatting to a police officer on the way out and uh, we were racing at the border and he was um, saying that they reckon there's going to be another five years of this like, they're, they're all five years five years yeah goodness me so you're likely to be going back again yes um, well we're going back or we we want to go back if we get the funding to do this we will uh, but I'm sure we can muster something up between now and April mm. we want to go back for the uh, for Easter and take a load of chocolate eggs this time because it's all set up now you know this was a bit of a test run in some ways and but, I, um, just, just bringing it back to Brexit again since that would technically be food you would almost certainly be buying that from oh yeah yeah that's going to be more yeah. yeah, we're going to yeah. buy that direct from Kinder. <laughs> well, you've got to have vet certificates, presumably, and everything like that. Goodness me. Next year, we'll be able to talk to Lego and actually yeah. get something yeah. official set up where we get a couple, instead of just a van filled with Lego, how about Brilliant. we get a convoy of trucks full of Lego and we make sure that it's not just hundreds of children who get a present. Yeah, yeah. Thousands yeah. or maybe tens of thousands, which would be absolutely phenomenal. And we've got the we've got the logistics in place to be able sure, to do that. Sure, Have you approached um, the Lego company. Well, I, I'm hoping to have a meeting with a, a friend of a friend who works quite high up in Lego next yeah, month. Yeah, so yeah. watch this space. But it, you know, wh- whatever happens, you, th- this is a, a thing that we can do. And you know, of course, we got the few little trolls saying, "Why aren't you helping the kids in Gaza?" And it was like, "Can't drive to Gaza. The Red Cross can't drive to freaking Gaza." And in yeah. any case, they don't celebrate <laughs> Christmas there much. So I mean, it's not like something that mm. they need right now. But if you want to give to a charity that's helping in Gaza, please do yeah you know or, or if you want to set something up yourself we will i will give money to your charity to help children in gaza I've sure been, sure it, it, honestly it's not like if what you about can't, it, it, it's it's the disease <laughs> of the modern age isn't it it's that oh but it's like this idea that if you can't help everyone you should yeah. help no one yeah yeah that, that, that it's like presumably what underlies this which is kind of perverse isn't it graham it's always a pleasure to speak to you and i certainly look forward yes. to um seeing someone are you going to be posting those pictures of the, the happy smiling kids yes. Lego. Yeah, if, if you go do, to that, UK yeah. for UKR, number four, UK4UKR.com, yeah. and you can see the, the blogs on there of our adventures getting to Ukraine Fantastic, and back, and also yeah. uh, pictures of the kids getting their presents. So UK you know, for really well UK spent. 
UKR.com. UK for yeah. UKR.com. And we're it. already fundraising for the Easter uh, the Easter bunny one, where we're all going to dress up as bunny rabbits. And yeah, okay. That won't be a le- at all weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see you with some nice pink fluffy ears, Graham. I'm sure you'd look terrific. Oh. That, that is brilliant. Graham, always a pleasure to speak to you. Um, and Thanks, uh, thank you very much for joining me. Hi, I'm The Grit. Uh, this one is called There's Power in the People, and it's looking at the strike action that we've been seeing in the sort of uprising of uh, workers over the last few weeks in response to 12, 13 years of crushing austerity by the government, reducing living standards and making life impossible. Just won't stop. 
There's power in the people. That was the grit. Uh, you may recall at the end of the first part of my interview with Ken Loach, I asked him why he chose to set the film in 2016. Um, because that's when the Syrians first arrived. Right. There were very few preparations made for them, um, and uh, the word got around in the area that uh, Syrians were coming. And there was an initial hostility. Mm. Um, you know, why us? And we haven't been told. Um, and, you know, from a depressed, angry, bitter, lost community of people, there will be some who, who, who find a scapegoat. Yeah. Later, the, the, um, the, the local authorities, um, and particularly the one in Durham, worked really hard. And uh, it's put um, resources and people aside to make the Syrians welcome. Yeah. Um, so, but that the the that was the critical moment, really. Mm. And obviously, when we did the research in pulled in with most of the research in in 2019, 2020, um, things had settled down a bit, and the the the, um, the 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 conflict wasn't as sharp. I mean, Ken, I was astounded to learn that per head of population, um, more Syrians um, were basically dumped on the northeast than any other part of the country. So you have two, you know, on this on the face of it, forgotten communities suddenly yeah. thrust upon each other. And that creates an incredible dynamic in the film, doesn't it? Yes. Well, that, that, that was the idea. Yeah. The, 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 the question is, the question I suppose in the film is, you have, as you say, two, two communities, both both um, abandoned in a way, or, or mm. abandoned is the wrong word, but both um, in trouble, real trouble. And can they live together? Um, the the local community is um, uh, has, on the one hand, it's got the the anger and the bitterness of having been abandoned, alongside the the memory of the tradition of solidarity of the mining unit, and th th those two tendencies. You know, conflict against each other. The Syrians have just been through the trauma of a war. Yeah. The men have been tortured. The um, the families have lost loved ones. Um, the the struggle to get out of the war is. I mean, they told us horrific stories. Um, horrific stories. Um, people tortured. People threatened. As I say, family members dead. The yeah. the, the lad who plays the older brother has got a piece of. You can see this mark where a shrapnel hit his forehead really badly, yeah. and he saw his, 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 his um, he saw his cousin killed in front of him. I mean, the, right. the, the, but that's only one story. There was every family had a story. Yes, yes. And that trauma, and there, there they are in a foreign country, but the only this clothes they stand up in. Yeah, with them, uh, and they don't speak the language. And how on earth can these two communities live together? And I suppose that's the question. It is, but it's answered so beautifully in the film, and 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 the film doesn't shy away from the grievances of 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 some that many people would describe or categorise, I think, wrongly as racist, such as the character you mentioned earlier, Charlie. In fact, it creates quite a lot of empathy for those characters. Um, one of them even utters the words, I'm not racist, but... Uh, and for the first time since, um, well, the, the Syrians' introduction to our society and the Brexit referendum, I had to concede, no, I don't think you are. Um, there's a wonderful scene in the film where both communities come together uh, to share in some of the photos uh, ta taken by Abra Marie's character, Yara. So much of the film for me is about the integration, the successful integration of these two different ethnicities in one community. So you could argue it's a triumph in some respects of multiculturalism. Turning each community's trauma into something constructive, is that 
something that you wanted to explore in the film? Um, yes, I mean, to, to say it at heart, I mean, we are good neighbours. Mm. You know, if, if someone is in trouble in your street, people will rally around. And essentially, that's all refugees are. They're, <laughs> you know, they're fleeing war to save their lives. Uh, they're just people, really, like like us, except they just have a different language and different different culture, but they they are us, we are them. Mm. Um, and to recognize that and the the politicians or many of them are um, bent on saying these people are, we don't want them I mean there's yeah. a huge debate at the moment here as you know mm. about people crossing the channel in small boats and it's like they're our enemies mm. and yet of course there's no mention of the wars of intervention in which Britain's played a, a dishonorable part the illegal war in Iraq yeah. four to five million people displaced mm. huge numbers of refugees caused there of wars in Afghanistan um, we have the way we allow climate change to, to run rampant which is again causing people to leave uh, their countries because they're no longer sustainable and that much gets much much worse absolutely uh, th there's uh, civil wars where again we need the United, a strong United Nations to intervene and bring peace and with the West undermines the United Nations all the time they're doing it now mm. by refusing to call for an immediate supporting the United Nations and their demand for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza yeah. to end that, those massacres. Um, so in, at every point, well, not at every point, but in, in, in many respects, the, the West plays um, has played a, a, a disastrous part in creating situations that produce people having to leave their country. Mm. Um, and, and we have to get to the source of, of what causes people to have to leave for safety. Um, here at SMR, um, obviously, we, we, we want, moving on to politics briefly now, we, we want the Tories gone, that's a given. Uh, and speaking personally, not forgetting we've got the most unfair, democratic and in inverted commas, election system in the Western world in first past the post. I'd mm. like to see a broad coalition of the left come to power with strong input from the Greens, the Lib Dems, as well as Labour. Uh, now, your expulsion from the Labour Party, to put it mildly, uh, uh, dissatisfaction with Keir Starmer is well known. Um, but given the old oak is, in my view, one of your most hopeful films, and I, I really think it is, what is your hope for the United Kingdom post the Tory regime next year? Um, well, it's difficult to see it in electoral terms because mm. there's a huge vacuum on the left, as you say. I mean, the, Keir Starmer has moved the Labour Party to within a cigarette paper's difference between the, him and the Tories. And that that's clearly his aim, is to say, look, um, Tories, you can vote for us because nothing will change. And he, he wrote a, a newspaper piece just recently praising um, some aspects of Margaret Thatcher. Well, you only have to mention her name. I mean, there's a the small print is almost um, irrelevant, mentioned her name and it causes great um, pain amongst people, like in the mining communities who are left, just left. I mean, she destroyed mm. them, mm. constantly destroyed them. So to do that just shows he's moving to the right, move the Labour Party yeah. to the right. Yeah. So there is a big vacuum on the left. I mean, as you say, um, I, I think the division for me now that the 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 politics the the demands of big business and the big corporations the disaster the environmental disaster facing us imminently yeah. we're now yeah. it, it, the situation is so extreme that i don't think there's time now for social democracy 
you know, social democracy, the essence of it is um, if, if capitalism works and makes a profit, then some of the profits will will um, support a welfare state, you know, pay for public service, tax them. Well, th- that's been proved not to work. That's been the policy of the Labour Party in government since, since its inception. It doesn't work. It needs an, a restructured e- economy based on common ownership, production for needs, not private profit, a plan economy where we can plan the world's resources so that all countries can can survive and all people can survive and managing the economy so that the 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 climate disaster can be at least mitigated if not totally avoided and we can't to me and to many people i don't think we can't do that without planning the the market will not satisfy a need unless there is profit right that, that that chaos won't work now there was a famous pamphlet written by a great socialist of the early 20th century called Rosa Luxemburg and was called um, um, Socialism or Barbarism, mm. uh, anticipating the rise of the, the, the Nazis and the fascists. Yeah. No, I think it is Socialism or Survival. Which is why I think the, the 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 support for the United Nations is so important because it is only an international body that yeah. can that all countries subscribe to and and work with is so important. And when the West continually undermines the the integrity of the United Nations, it is not only a disservice to that particular conflict; it's a disservice to the whole future of the planet. And we we could talk at length about this subject as well as many many others, but we are push for time so i'd just like to move on to um the filmmaker's role in society which we talk about in just a few minutes in part three of my interview with ken loach you're listening to smr the uk's original pro-european radio show with ben chambers Yeah, right. 
Soothsayers, this and that, a favourite of ours here at SMR. And don't forget, if you're a singer-songwriter, band or artist, send your music in to us. Provided you're pro-European, the music itself doesn't have to be uh, anti-Tory, anti-Brexit. We want to play your stuff. Uh, Thanks to my mate Graham from Bournemouth. I managed to catch them live uh, at uh, the Lighthouse in Poole last year. Terrific band. And speaking of terrific bands... Oh, another seamless link. I'm I'm good at these, aren't I? Yeah. Um, I also managed to find time this week to speak with a representative from Poland's Never Again Association. Now, some of you will be familiar with this. Their website, of course, is fully in English, so it's accessible to all of us if we don't speak Polish. Uh, Given that the rise of racial hatred, uh, as exposed by Ken's film The Old Oak, was something we were talking about this week, I wanted to find out what was happening in one of our neighbouring European Union countries. And it turns out, thanks to groups like Never Again, quite a lot. So I'm joined now uh, by Jacek from the Never Again Association, and he's he's in Poland. Uh, Jacek, welcome to 16 Million Rising. Hello. Hello, it's great to have you with us. Um, just tell us, first of all, for those who don't know, what the Never Again Association is. What's, what's its purpose? What are its objectives? Um, what are you seeking to achieve? We were founded in 1996 in Poland. We aim to inform about the uh, threat of racism, xenophobia, anti-Semitism. We monitor the public space, the social media for racist incidents. Uh, we monitor what public figures are saying. Uh, we are also active uh, on the grounds of uh, football matches. We're trying also to uh, lower the, the, the amount of racist incidents on the football stadiums. Mm, we also uh, collaborate with different bands that promote values similar to ours, anti-racist, anti-fascist values. So there's quite a lot of things, quite a lot of things that you do. Obviously online monitoring hate speech um, and addressing that. Um, What do you do when you come across um, instances of hate speech or anti-Semitism or racism? Uh, What's your approach to dealing with it? We document it uh, for sure, trying to uh, translate it and we report it to the to the social media platforms. And this is your area of expertise, isn't it? This is what you do on a daily basis. Tell me a little bit more about the the football matches, because that's offline. So do representatives from Never Again attend football matches and, and, and do a similar thing there to discourage racist chanting and racist abuse and monitoring it? Is that what you do? We collaborate with different football players. We also hold our own. Uh, tournaments uh, on the Poland Rock Festival, uh, the Woodstock Festival previously, uh, and we also depend on the me- uh, media telling about different racist incidents, so we investigate uh, the things that are on the news, um, because there are quite a few 
Uh, right. systems is enough of incidents like banners or, or slogans shouted on the yeah. football yeah. matches. I mean, this is a problem, obviously, that goes across Europe, across the world. We have significant problems, obviously, in the UK um, with hate speech and with anti-Semitism, with racism in general. And like you say, particularly, it's very prevalent at football matches where tempers flare easily, where emotions are very high. Now, tell me about the bands that you're working with as well because obviously music is a very uh, very effective vehicle for addressing racism um, living near Newcastle we have um, quite a, a heritage and a history of bands coming up here with that in mind lots of anti-fascist um, anti-racist bands getting their music out there um, what bands do you work with tell me a little bit about who they are what kind of stuff what kind of genre of music they sing and what events you've got coming up on 24th of November was the concert in Berlin uh, by the band Analogs, which is a very popular Polish punk rock band that incorporates anti-fascist and anti-racist themes in their lyrics. And they will have a tour uh, promoting these values in Poland now. They performed in Berlin on the 24th of November. Yes. Are you saying that are they going on tour in Poland or, or wider afield? Yes, yes, in different Polish cities. Uh, did you say the band was called Analog? Yes, the Analogs. The, the analogues. Brilliant. So are there other bands that you work with as well? Yes, there are many punk rock bands, but not only. We, we, mm. we uh, issued uh, music compilations with different bands in, in the 90s. Mm. Uh, we had a vinyl release show uh, some time ago. Uh, we also had hip-hop artists and artists not from Poland. We had Trumba Wamba on our record. On our, uh, Trumba Wamba! Absolutely so, fantastic. Yeah. We, they're a band that I think a lot of us are familiar with in the UK. They had a very, very big hit here in the 90s, uh, Get Knocked Down, I Get Up Again. A Tub yeah. Thumping was a very, very big hit. But of course, yeah, people... Perhaps, hit in it is, but perhaps yeah. people aren't aware of how um, what an anti-racist band they are and the rest of their music so you work with them yes they recorded songs for our uh, albums that's terrific now if people want to get in touch and connect with the Never Again Association find out a bit more about what you do uh, where's the best place for them to go to, to engage with you to connect with you I would say our website or our social media but our website has an English section where mm -hmm. you can write an email or otherwise contact us. It's uh, it's in Polish. Ah, uh, is it really? Polish <laughs> domain is nigdywięcej.org, uh, and yeah, I can give you the link. So that would be great. Presumably, if you if you search as I have for Never Again Association, it will take you to the website. I would say that probably there is an English domain. And you're on social media. Are you across all the social media networks? Yes, yes, on Facebook, on Twitter you can search for the name of our association and fantastic well uh yes it's been great talking to you and all the very very best with the whatever projects you've got coming up um it's incredibly important work and uh, at a time in the uk since brexit when uh, racial hatred has been on the rise the attitude that we have in this country at the moment towards asylum seekers and refugees and immigrants is incredibly sad and the, the, there's a lot of people in the UK um, really angry at the moment about the way our government wants to treat people uh, coming into our country. Um, and I don't know if you've heard this week, um, <laughs> we have this appalling Rwanda bill 
that is going through the courts and through Parliament at the moment, where our government are trying to abdicate their responsibility and ship asylum seekers and refugees um, off to Rwanda in Africa so they can deal with them instead. You know, the work that you're doing in Poland, we certainly need a never again association in the UK at the moment doing a very, very similar kind of thing. Um, so it's great to hear what you're doing out there in Poland. Uh, so, Jacek, uh, thank you very much. Jacek from the Never Again Association, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, now, rather than read out the, the website in Polish to you uh, on, on the radio, it's probably better if you just go to Google and stick in Never Again Association, and it's the first thing that comes up. Um, like, like Jacek says, the, there is a huge uh, English section. Well, actually, I think when I clicked on it, the whole thing was in English. You can find out about all their current projects, um, get in touch, support their initiative, and take heart that in another country that's seen its fair share of far-right political parties and movements trying to take power, there are plenty of voices of reason speaking up for the majority. Uh, time for a little more music now on SMR. One of the bands that Jacek was speaking about there was Chumba Wumba. Now, like me, you probably remember them from the 90s, uh, as discussed. Their, their big hit, Tub Thumping. I get knocked down, I get up again. But there's a lot more to them than that. Uh, from the second part of Music Against Racism, released by the Never Again Association, this is the day the Nazi died live. We're taught that after the war the Nazis vanished without a trace But battalions of fascists still dream of a master race The history books they tell of their defeat in 45 But they all came out of the woodwork On the day the Nazi died They say the prisoner of Spandau was a symbol of defeat Whilst Hess remained in prison, then the fascists they were beat So the promise of an Aryan world would never materialise So why did they all come out of the woodwork? On the day the Nazi died The world is riddled with maggots The maggots are getting fat They're making a tasty meal of all the bosses and bureaucrats They're taking over the boardrooms and they're fat and full of pride And they all came out of the woodwork on the day the Nazi died So if you meet with these historians I'll tell you what to say Tell them that the Nazis never really went away They're out there burning houses down and peddling racist lies and we'll never rest again Until every Nazi dies Chumbawamba live the day the Nazi died from uh, the Never Again Association's compilation of music against racism. That's from part two there. Right, now it's time for the final part of my interview with Ken Loach. And in this short section, we spoke about Ken's philosophy of filmmaking and just what it means to put truth up on the screen. I don't recall who actually said it first. It might have been Francois Truffaut or Jean-Luc Godard. But what increasingly appeals to me in terms of the films I like to spend time with is this notion of the truth 24 times a second. Um, that's what I love. When I think I've found that in a film, I love it. What does truth mean to you as a filmmaker? And how do you put that truth on screen? Well, I mean, truth's a big word. Um, I mean, uh, you know, you, you, when you when when you try to work on a film, and make a film with you know with the people you work alongside. Um, what is it? it? It's first of all 
looking at the story, looking at the world and saying, what's the story we need to tell? Yeah. What's a, what's, what's a story that needs to be told? And then try to understand the, the truth of that situation the, the, as far as you can. You know, try to understand what really happened. What are the different elements within the social situation, within the characters, the real, the real characters? Yeah. You know, not imposing it, just the real people. How do they reflect that? Yeah. And then if you've got that, then finding a story that will illuminate that without people making speeches about it. You know, you don't want a character who says what the writer wants to say or the director yes. wants to say. It's got to be embedded in who they are. And then, and then bringing that to life in a way that is, rings true. You know, uh, the, the people feel, well, this, I believe these people. Yeah. I, I recognize them. Yeah. I know, I know somebody like them. They may be a different part of the country. They may be in a different country altogether. May speak a different language, but I know these people. They live down our street or they live, you know, I know them. But it begins with a kind of, I try to honestly see what is really going on. Sure, sure. And the big, the big structural elements in society that are producing the situation we're in and, and reflecting the history of that. Because we, we don't just arrive with these conflicts. Mm. They have a long, a long route, you know? I, I mean, Ken, some of my favourite films of recent years have, have been those in a similar vein to yours. Um, Two Days, One Night from the Dardens uh, last year. Uh, and, and last year's wonderful Hit the Road. Um, from Iranian filmmaker Panar Panahi. Uh, this year's The Worst Ones, one of my favourite films of the year, from French directors uh, Lisa Coker and Romain Gouray. Here in the UK, we've got filmmakers um, who like you, like Lynn Ramsey, who I know has worked with 16 films, who explore social injustice to some degree using non-professional actors, street castings. How optimistic are you, Ken, that there, there are enough like-minded directors, storytellers out there able to carry the baton for social change once you do finally decide to retire? Who most excites uh, you at the moment? Um, it's difficult to put a name to it because I, I don't see as many films as I should. Um, <laughs> We, we, well, we don't. I mean, I don't live in London most of the time, yeah. so the opportunity is very limited. I, I don't like watching things online or on a TV set. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd rather be in the cinema. So I don't see as many as I should, and I, I'll, I'll miss some people out. So it's not fair to name a name. I mean, I think there's 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 a huge there's oh, there are always talented people. You know, you know that. Mm. from the work you know the work we do wherever you go there's talented people there's good people everywhere political people everywhere a lot of political people yeah. around now yeah. um, on the other hand everyone is born from the culture they grew up in yeah. I grew up in the late 40s 50s and, and, and influenced a lot in films in the 60s and then you know your, your ideas tend to settle and you try to you know develop them and and those that was the Italian neorealists and the Eastern oh. European films and French New Wave. I mean, that's my cultural background. People have different backgrounds. Mm, mm. I'm influenced by the internet, which I mean is a, another country to me. So, <laughs> as you can tell from the laborious way I had to set up this thing. So, so I think I, I don't know. I, I know there are people there, and the people you mentioned are, are obviously terrific, and there are others. The, the problem is never with the the lack of talent of writers, directors, for, you know, cameramen, women, sound recorders, designers, any of that, production, producers, any of that. The problem is with the investment and um, 
cinema is is largely a commodity um, where the films that are made um, are the ones you know their aim is to make a film like the one that made most money the year before yeah. so that yeah. and we see them as communications so it's the struggle between the two concepts of cinema um, absolutely Ken congratulations again on a truly remarkable film uh, if people want to find out more about your work um, and that of your production company they can head over to 16films.co.uk uh, they can also follow you on Twitter. Uh, you say you're not in, into the, the, the modern concept of the internet, but you're there on Twitter um, at Ken Loach 16 all one word. So it just remains for me to say thank you very, very much for your time, Ken, to, okay. uh, to encourage all who've not yet seen it um, to catch up with the old oak. And uh, do let both Ken and us here at SMR know what you thought of it. Ken Loach, thank you very much. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. And, uh, give, give my regards to uh, County Durham. Uh, <laughs> and I hope the two football teams do well. Thank you very much. All the best. Uh, the final part of my interview there with director Ken Loach. And this is Ferry Corsten and Richard Walters. Can I look away? What a mess we Walking in my sleep Don't know where I'm going And I start to fall With nowhere to land Turning in the air Like I'm hardly there
Oh, Limbo. I haven't played that song for so long. I've forgotten how much I love it. Ferry Corsten and singer-songwriter Richard Waters there. Following on from the last part of my interview with director Ken Loach, which I do very much hope you enjoyed. It really was an honour and a privilege to speak to someone I've looked up to for, well, yet decades in my journey through film. And once again, thank you for joining me this week on the show. I've been Ben Chambers. Do stop by the website, subscribe if you can. I'll see you guys again in seven. You've been listening to 16 Million Rising, produced by SMR Communications, broadcasting weekly on Mixcloud. To find out how to contribute to the next show, check out our website and follow us on social media. What's a story that needs to be told? And then try to understand the, the truth of that situation. Do not lower your sights. Do not avert your gaze. Look straight. Look up. Mark on. 16 Million Rising is the UK's first and longest running pro-European radio show with a brand new episode every seven days free to listen to on the popular Mixcloud platform. Reaching up to 50,000 listeners every week, each show brings you a carefully curated assembly of reliable talking heads, exclusive location reports, listener calls and action points to help you find your place in the fight for the European values of cooperation, inclusion and unity we need to see restored to the heart of our failing democracy. We bring your tweets to life, platform the best new comedy, poetry and yes, music being written and produced by you. In fact, in 2020, thanks to your support, we were able to launch our own record label and release a compilation CD of some of the best of that music. But now we want to take things to the next level. We're looking for just 100 monthly subscribers or early risers to help us reach our goal of being able to make a brand new show speaking truth to power every seven days until we rejoin the European Union. And we're well on the way, but we need your help to make our dream of a free weekly pro-EU radio show a cast iron reality. We're not looking for a few big money donors to pull the strings, rather lots of real people like you giving small amounts monthly. We're part of the national grassroots network of passionate pro-Europeans who believe right-wing sources of misinformation, bigotry and outright racism like GB News need challenging now. So if you'd like to be part of what we're doing at SMR, join us. For just £5 a month, you'll receive every week's new show as a digital download a full day before it goes to air. And as a welcome gift, we'll send you a free copy of our 21-track CD, You Write the Songs, as a physical CD or download with no PMP. Full details are available on the website. Just click the link where you found this video. And with your help, we believe that reversing Brexit and restoring the UK to the heart of the European Union is not just some distant possibility, but an achievable and seeable goal. Become an early riser. Help us grow the show and put yourself on the right side of history with us. 16 Million Rising. You write the songs, you make the news, and we will be with you, whatever. And for fans of uh, bloopers, outtakes from interviews, don't worry, I've, I've, I've got you covered. Uh, firstly, there's this from just before my chat with Graham Hughes really kicked into gear. Are you ready to just uh, crack on and explain yourself then? Uh, I'll try. You need to ask me questions, though. I'll ask you questions. Yeah, of course I will. Oh, good. Is that we'll, how it works? We'll, keep, we'll keep the flow going. Like, um, is, this, is this for 16 million rising? 
No, it's for Newsnight, you twat. Yeah, of course it's 60 million rising. Okay. <laughs> That's my bag, baby. No, How long be. have we got? How oh, long have God, we got? We won't need uh, 10 minutes will do, won't it? We just explain why you were there, what you were doing, um, you know, what it's like, you know, um, virtue signaling, sorry, saving lives, uh, blah, 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 blah. You just, you just keep it chilled and relaxed and whatever. But no, I'm not using the video, I'm just using the... So yeah, I've got a cup of coffee as well. And it's already gone cold because this, my environs are so fucking freezing. Mm. <clears throat> are you making notes? Yeah. Bloody hell, man. He's prepared. All right, are you, are you ready then? See, full transparency here at SMR. It's just such, such a shame, isn't it, that um, during my conversation with Ken Loach, that nothing whatsoever went wrong, really. Well, I, apart from this. Not, not. Oh, God, someone's at the door. Um <laughs> Did, did you hear that? Um, did you I want to forget? No, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> did, did, did domestic life intrudes into the podcast. Hang on. That's absolutely I'll fine. It's not I'll live. So don't worry. It's not live. It's okay. 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 I'll be back in a minute. Not a problem. Okay. Oh, it's okay. Um, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> um, my, my wife Leslie's come to the door, so I'm okay. Oh, no worries. Not a problem at all. Okay. Um...